The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, the final college football podcast of the 2018 season. Less than 24 hours ago, Clemson beat Alabama to win the national championship and did it in a rout, 44-16. to My guest on the final AP Top 25 College Football Podcast of the season is the USA Today College Football College Sports crew, Dan Wolken, Paul Meyerberg, George Schroeder. We literally sat around a table at the hospitality room in San Jose, where the media has been gathered for the last few days, and we talked out the national championship game, the 2018 season, and what could be to come in 2019. A lot of talk about Alabama and what's next there, a lot of talk about Clemson and what's next there. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Podcast One. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe and give us a good review, if so inclined. And away we go. It is the day after the college football playoff national championship game. You know, what, 12 hours or so? Clemson has been the national champion. They beat Alabama last night. Final AP Top 25 College Football Podcast of the regular season. I am joined in the hospitality room of the uh, San Jose Marriott, where all the action has been with the USA Today crew, uh, college sports crew, Dan Wolken, Paul Meyerberg, George Schroeder. Let's see, you're going to hear a little clanging in the background as the playoff starts to pack up and head home, and so do we. Last night, Clemson beat Alabama 44-16. I'm going to introduce everybody and let them say hello so you can hear their voices and identify them. This is Dan Wolken. Good morning, Ralph. You need to bring up your energy level a little bit. I don't think uh, you quite matched Dabo at his press conference just now. Paul Meyerberg, thanks for being here. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a return guest. Wasn't I just on this? This is back-to-back episodes for me? Yeah, you don't get an extra guest gift, though. <laughs> That's well, it. <laughs> I've got a box of Zatarain's Jambalaya flavor and also an Aunt Sally's original cream praline. 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 Yeah, so I'm going to take these as my guest. Oh, those are, those are <laughs> except those are George Schroeder's. Hi, George. Yeah, you're actually not taking those two, but but if you'll move on after the podcast, we can get you another one. Okay. Dan is right. I got I got to amp up the energy here because Dabo, as always, was high energy in his press conference despite probably only three hours of sleep. Let me just go around the table here and sort of wrap up last night's game. It, it was seemed like a weird game because it got out of hand in a weird way. As far as blowouts go, Dan. And the performance of Clemson. Let's start with this. How surprised were you that that played out the way it did? That it played out the way it did was surprising on two fronts. One, that Clemson's offensive line was able to block because that was the biggest question coming in, just that individual matchup. Could they protect Trevor Lawrence? And it was very apparent early on, and it continued throughout the game, that they were more than up to the task. And the second thing that was surprising, just because it doesn't happen very often, is how much better Clemson was playing situational football. Inside the red zone, uh, there were a handful of plays in the game that, frankly, you know, Brent Venables just 
got the better of Mike Loxley on very specific calls that swung the game. Those plays near the goal line uh, that Clemson was able to stop, the pick six, just situations that came up. Clemson, and I, I give a lot of credit to its coaching staff, were dominant, and that's what made the score look like it did, despite the fact Alabama got a lot of yards. Yeah, that, and that, that was my takeaway, Paul, and I'll, I'll go to you. Like, you know, it was a blowout, but yet, and and Saban sort of laid this out afterwards. Like, it's not like Alabama got totally dominated up and down. It got dominated at key moments. Yeah, I mean, it was 17-16, right? Or rather, was it 16-14? 16-14 at one point. 14 Alabama at a point. And there was a feeling, at least for me, that, okay, so Clemson needs to do something here before Alabama makes this a different game. It's 23-14, and then you get the idea that maybe Clemson would fall behind. I thought Clemson was going to win the game. I'd be lying if I said that I thought Clemson was going to win by 28 points. What's striking to me, and and Dan has written about this, is that Alabama got out-coached on a pretty massive, to me, given the stage, the most that I've ever seen Alabama team get out coached under Saban at the very least. And I think that it has a lot to do with the lack of brain power on that staff compared to the recent past. You know, you got to be honest. I mean, you look at the past of a Kirby Smart, of Mel Tucker's, of Pruitt's on defense, compared to what they're doing now on defense, it's simply not the brain power that they've had in the past. So I thought Clemson out-schemed him, outplayed him, uh, had more energy. I think Saban knew it. I think going for a fake field goal was a white flag or, or at least a signal that we can win this game straight up. And uh, no doubt that the best team won. And there was no doubt about that. And I don't know if we've ever... Well, we, I know for a fact, in the last 10 years of Alabama, we have never said when a team beat Alabama, the better team won. And the better team didn't just win. They won by four touchdowns last night. George, what was your sort of takeaway from to put a bow on uh, Alabama's collapse and Clemson's championship? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a snowball. And so they're not four touchdowns better, but they're better. Uh, and during the course of the year, I, I kind of wondered in the back of my head a couple times, is this Alabama team really the greatest team of all time? We, we sort of got to this point where we said because of the offense, because of how it's different than we've ever seen at Alabama, although it's not that different than what we'd seen from other top programs. It's just different than how Alabama had ever done it, much better quarterback than they'd ever had, producing more points than they'd ever had. We're talking about them, is this the greatest Nick Saban team? And I think they were able to hide the fact, because of the offense and maybe because of some of the, the competition and the lack of offenses they played through most of the year, that their defense was significantly worse than we've seen in most of his years at Alabama, at least. And I think that got exposed last night pretty good when they played a team that's you know got a powerful offense and can make those big plays, uh, and it can snowball on you, and you've got to be ready to play a shootout. What's interesting is, in retrospect, how Nick Saban sort of seemed sort of giddy, and Paul and Dan were there. I wasn't. You were. You and I were at the Cotton Bowl. But how he seemed sort of giddy after the Orange Bowl, and you hear some of the things coming out of Alabama about how they were really concerned about Oklahoma's offense. Um, even though Oklahoma's defense was terrible, you can sort of see in retrospect why they had reason to be concerned, especially once they ran up against a team that actually plays defense and still has some kind of an offense like that. I just think we're going to look back on this team, and instead of talking about them as the greatest team of the Saban era, we're going to look back on them and go, wow, their defense was really not nearly as good as everybody as he's had. 
Yeah, to a certain degree, it was a Quinn and Williams show this year for Alabama's defense. He sort of handled things up front, and I think what Alabama was sort of figuring on coming into the Clemson game is, well, Quinn and Williams, and we still have some good defensive linemen, and they'll handle their business up front. We'll drop a bunch of guys in coverage. We'll confuse the freshman quarterback, and we'll score enough to win. Really, we'll score enough to win. I think that's sort of been Saban's deal this year. I've got this great quarterback. We will score enough to win. And the offense really, for the most part, did move the ball well and could have scored enough to win. But it malfunctioned in key spots, as Dan had said before. So we had a a college football playoff this year where all three games were blowouts. We had a season where there was not a lot of interesting upsets and things along those lines. I'll start with you, Dan. Was it a boring college football season? Relatively speaking, when you think about years where you've had you know crazy upsets that you just didn't see coming, where you've had tons of dramatic games down to the wire, this one was definitely lacking in, in some of those areas, in some of those just memorable games. And, and part of it was just Alabama was not challenged until the SEC championship game. Clemson was not really challenged at all. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> until until the championship game, which which they obviously handled pretty easily so you know there were a couple you know big upsets i mean obviously the texas the first texas oklahoma game was 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 fascinating but uh, that's one i'll remember but yeah i mean look the, the top two teams separated from the rest of the field we've talked about it all year long you know and and i think now i, I get into a bigger picture conversation about where's Alabama headed? Where's Clemson headed? Are they equals? Is Clemson the best program in college football right now? You know, I think those are sort of the interesting questions that will carry into the offseason. And, and, you know, I'm not quite as concerned about whether it was a boring season because I do think we have kind of a reset moment potentially for the whole landscape. Let's jump off there, Paul. Is Clemson the standard bearer program? Now, listen, my, my, I wrote literally last week, I wrote that we, are, we should expect to see these two teams playing for the national title next year, too. There's really no reason to think that anything is going to stand in the way of a Clemson-Alabama 5, so just be prepared for it. You know, you're, you're sort of splitting hairs, but is, is Clemson, does Clemson get to say, just simply because we have the national title and we've beaten Alabama two out of three years, that no, now we are the standard bearer program in college football? Uh, yeah, and also they have Trevor Lawrence, and Alabama doesn't. So uh, Clemson can say that, and they should be able to say that because, again, they have Trevor Lawrence, who is the greatest freshman QB that we've ever seen in college football, and, and a revelation. I think they've earned that right. I mean, to be serious, they've earned that right because... They just whooped up on Alabama. And I think that when you do something like that, and as Dan wrote, it was something that sent reverberations through the sport, I think that's something that shifts the balance of power in your favor, at least temporarily. Look, I mean, Alabama still has five in the last decade. Clemson has two. I don't want to get into the thing about how we'll look back on these teams because I think it's pretty clear that we'll look back on this as the Alabama era and maybe not the Clemson era. But for right now, this is Clemson sport. You know, when you do something like what they did last night, this is your sport. They own it. And they have so many young guys coming back, specifically on offense, that there's no reason at all to doubt that they can do this again. This ends up being more of a fun debate than something that you should take overly seriously. But Clemson last night, and I'm going to stick with you just for a second, Paul, and then we'll go to George on this, is that Clemson was calling themselves the greatest team of all time. 
last night. And, you know, they're the first 15-0 team. And they beat a team that everybody thought could stamp itself as the greatest, just as George said, the greatest team in the Alabama era. So that makes you maybe one in contention for discussion of the greatest team of all time. You know, it, it's only 12 hours after the game ended, but where does this Clemson team in your mind, Paul, sort of rate among the great ones in recent college football history? All right. Well, let's just let's go from 2002 to now. And like take Miami out of it. By the way, 2001 Miami is not one of the greatest teams of all time. One of the most talented. We we do do this all the time, Paul and I. No, 2001 Miami is not one of the great football teams (laughs) of all time. They barely beat BC, okay, and Virginia Tech. (laughs) Give me a break. All right, anyway, um, since 2002, look, they went 15 and 0. First team since 1897, thanks to ESPN as I'm watching right now. U Penn in 1897 to go 15 and 0. I think that puts them in an elite conversation almost by default. So, yeah, if you're making a list of the 21st century champions, you've got to have Clemson at or near the top. Well, and their only close game really was Texas A&M early in well, the season. And Syracuse. Yeah, but, yeah, Syracuse is a little different category because they were playing with a backup quarterback. Um, so it was a strange week. Seriously. You know, I, and I actually think back to that game. I mean, Chase Bryce came in that game and threw an interception right away. And at that moment, I kind of thought Clemson might lose. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I, I, th- I didn't kind of. I thought Clemson would lose that game. Um, not because they weren't a good team, but just the circumstances of that game and, and not having Trevor Lawrence were just so so massive. But um, you know, but really since then, I mean, you can argue with the schedule because the ACC wasn't very good. But you know, did we find out in bowl season that maybe the SEC that everyone was giving Alabama credit for destroying was kind of average? All right, George. Aside from Paul's absurd comment about Miami, uh, two thousand one, which, which, which I've argued with him other times, where Clemson stands is all going to be relative to what you happen to think. And we just saw them do very well. But do you feel like you walked away from an historic season for Clemson? Let me just say this: I think they're the greatest team of this time, which is ten uh, ten Pacific time <laughs> on the morning after. I thought. It's not a passing of the torch. It's not exactly what you asked. It's not a passing of the torch, but as Dan wrote last night, they're at least sort of co-dynasties. Their dynasty doesn't last as long. It started later. But you have now seen Dabo Swinney build something at Clemson that is similar to what Nick Saban built at, at Alabama. It's just Nick had a head start. And I think when you look back and you look at this defense, and especially the defensive front in this era of offenses, and let's just not even talk about the ACC. It was a weak schedule. Let's just talk about the playoff teams. First of all, we should probably reevaluate Notre Dame a little bit. Perhaps they were decent. Perhaps they were worthy of a playoff contention, and Clemson's just really, really good. And then uh, what they did to Notre Dame's offense, what they did to Alabama's offense, and it's not the yards so much. It's that when they got in the red zone, they could not score. I think when you, when you have that kind of defense in this era of offenses, you have to start thinking about that's what makes this team different than other teams. There's a whole lot of teams that can score and have okay defenses that we could go down the list. I think that defense puts them at, the, you know, at or near the top of this era in terms of how good they are. I'm going to go to Paul on this one because we're going to like just sort of spin it at Well, we'll get Dan back in here eventually because you're responsible for USA Today's super early, way too ridiculous, like let's guess next year's top 25 project. 
You know, Alabama was in position next year to be the first team to start number one in the preseason poll, AP preseason poll, for four straight years. They've done it three straight years. Only Oklahoma in the mid-'80s did that. Alabama would be the first team to be number one in four straight preseason AP polls. How significant is that? Well, it's not as significant as winning a national championship, but it does sort of give you an idea of how rare what Nick Saban is doing is. It's a benchmark that sort of shows like he's, he's done something over at Alabama that's never been done before. Let's spin ahead to next year and the preseason rankings. Who would be number one going into the season for you, Alabama or Clemson? Let's say you had a if you had a print deadline where you had to submit a top 25 <laughs> and it occurred before kickoff, you would have Alabama number one. And then if you were unable then to update your online file because of that print edition, you would still have Alabama number one. I'd have Clemson number one. Obviously, there's going to be issues on defense. So we're talking a very specific 2019 team, personnel-wise, a ton of losses. But, I mean, like George was mentioning with Brent Venables on defense, I just think the confidence you have in him outweighs any of those issues so I think you would have to have Clemson number one because there's no amount of spin that's going to overcome a 28 point loss and can I say one more thing um, Virginia Tech had the ball at midfield 26-24 all he needed was a field goal to beat Miami and Reed's amazing and he got an interception but Virginia Tech very well could have won that game 27-26 10 the regular season so let me ask this what do we think Saban's response to this is going to be That that's my question going into the offseason because I don't think Nick Saban is just going to kind of go, yeah, it happened, but we don't need to do anything to, to change. I think they do need to do some things. And look, some coaches I talked to all year long were kind of whispering. They didn't want to say it too loud because Alabama was beating people by 30 points right and left. So, you know, that defensive coaching staff, let's just say it's it's been quite a drop-off from the days where you had Kirby Smart and Mel Tucker, I mean, I'm sorry, Tosh Lapoy, more of a recruiter than a coach. Pete Golding, good young guy, but he was at Texas San Antonio last year. Like, this is a different scale, a different stage. And I really thought the difference between Clemson's staff with the continuity they've had, the same coordinators for the last four years, um, just a group of guys that know what they can do. They know what their plan is. They fit. They, the chemistry's great. Versus Saban, the staff turnover hadn't really been a problem up to this point. But it, it's never a problem until it's a problem. And it was a problem last night. What now? That's my thing going into next season. Okay, so the what now, one thing that is a what now is there's been this assumption, and this is on the offensive side of the ball, that Dan Enos will be the next offensive coordinator when Loxley leaves. I would also argue that, you know, listen, Mike Loxley as an offensive coordinator, he looked great, but he also has one of the two or three best quarterbacks in the country. And I could have watched that game on the offensive side and said, that's what you're doing there? You know, even all the all the Josh Jacob Wildcat plays on third down that worked, you're still talking like it's third and two. Like, why just do that? So uh, even on that side of the ball. So he's going to have to make a hire on the offensive side of the ball. We assume it's just going to be internal, but maybe not. I guess conceivably maybe that makes him think, well, maybe we're not going to go internal. But, yeah, what he does defensively will also be interesting. And I'll go to George on this. Like They've done this very much keep-it-in-house approach at Alabama. Is this the time when they go outside of the family to a certain degree and try to do something defensively a little different? 
I don't know if they do something different, but I do think that Nick Saban will reevaluate. It's very possible that even Nick Saban, as good as he is, begins to think you, you sort of you know, it's like reading your own press clippings a little bit. You begin to think I can just keep promoting these guys, and the depth is such that we'll just move people up and in, and the analysts will come on field guys. And at a certain point, it only takes one bad one bad move or one guy who's not the same as the last guy. Uh, but think about it. they lost Kirby Smart, they lost Jeremy Pruitt, they go to Tosh Lupoy, who did not have the same reputation as Dan mentioned his reputation is as a recruiter, not as an X's and O's guy. And I, I think you've seen that. You, you, you see that the attrition hurt him. Um, I don't know if he goes outside. I suspect there'll be a couple of guys who will be who will suddenly find new jobs. That's how it seems to work with him. And maybe it'll be more than more than normal. Um, it's my understanding they had two airplanes leaving this morning. One was the big plane that was going to Birmingham, and there was a smaller private jet filled with the staff that was planning to go directly to Tuscaloosa, whatever the little airstrip is there. My assumption is that'll be a tough flight to be on, and then you'll probably be right in the football facility at some sort of a meeting. It's going to be a difficult couple of weeks. The other thing is this. If you're going to make a change, you need to make it right now because Friday, everybody's back out recruiting. We all know how Nick Saban is with recruiting. He's like, and everybody is. I don't know if they make a change or two, but I suspect they do. I don't know that it changes that Dan Enos would be the guy if you, you know, moving on from Loxley, because I don't know that last night changes that. I think Enos has been terrific in developing, uh, helping Tua, and frankly, look what he's done with Jalen Hurts. I thought Jalen Hurts looked better when we saw him this year. And I'm glad you mentioned that they still bring back Tua, because, uh, you know, I wrote a column about how he had a really difficult night last night, and, uh, and he did. It's the first first or second time we've really seen him sort of look mortal. But he's still really, really good. And he's still got really good weapons to distribute the football to. And so they're still going to be terrific offensively. That, to me, is why Alabama's not going anywhere. I know I didn't answer your question. Sorry. I, I suspect they're going to have some staff changes. You know, you mentioned they're going to be really good offensively next year. Listen, there's a chance they could fix their defense by simply just recruiting it. You know, a bunch of five star stars can fix just about everything, right? So Patrick Sertain is a freshman. He will be a sophomore next year and probably maybe has a ch- chance to be the first pick, the first corner picked in the draft in a couple of years. So simply recruiting and guys developing in the back end of that secondary could make it better. There's never a shortage of players to fix what's wrong with Alabama. And when you have Saban sort of at the top, you know, again, as long as the minions don't screw it up, you should be okay. I mean, let me go to you, Dan. You talked about Alabama as sort of your storyline going into the season. I know I'm hitting you with this cold. So what are your other sort of storylines that you're sort of looking ahead to next year? Maybe non-Alabama, non-Clemson. I know the one that comes to my mind is certainly what's going on with with Ohio State. But where, where else are you sort of looking toward next year as like, I'm interested in that program, that conference, or this issue in college football? How about Texas? The win over Georgia... We can talk about whether Georgia was motivated or not. I don't think that impacts how Texas responds to that. And I I don't really believe in momentum. I don't think momentum is a thing that exists. But I do believe that when you end your season with a win like that, it kind of announces you're back. We all, which we all like to say about Texas. Quite literally, uh, Ellinger announced it. Yeah, I do think that sets the tone for your off-season program in, in terms of the buy-in, in terms of how players approach it, in terms of, of kind of the hunger. And they're going to have an opportunity next year with Oklahoma. I don't want to say Oklahoma is going to take a dip, but they do have a quarterback to replace again. It'll be a different team. 
and Texas could be interesting. Um, obviously, Ohio State with potentially Justin Fields, starting quarterback and all the changes uh, with Ryan Day, we know they're going to be good, but uh, there's going to be a lot of off-season hype about Texas. It'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. Paul, what is your early, early storyline that you're sort of glancing toward for the 2019 season? Um, God, good question. I, I, I literally just asked it to Dan. Didn't you no, think I was going to ask it to you? No, I didn't. I, was, I was just trying to – it's called buying time, as I'm continuing to do right now as I discuss. Uh, no, I, I – I, I, uh, it sounds a lot like 2018, but I, I'm rightfully fascinated by – whether Michigan's going to break through and whether this is the time when it's going to happen because of this idea that Urban Meyer was the true puppet master and when he's gone, everything else will fall apart at Ohio State. So obviously a ton of storylines there and a lot of intrigue. I, I want to see Michigan, A, I don't buy into the idea that now or never because, you know, there will be a 2020 eventually in college <laughs> football. But I, I do think that that's a deservedly intriguing storyline that will obviously get a ton of ink this offseason. George, to you, what are you uh, keeping an eye on toward next season, either a team or a conference or maybe even an issue? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the way things went down with Alabama leads you on the one hand to believe that um, they're going to come back more hungry and angry and everything else, and there's nothing that says they're not going to be who they are. But you often sometimes wonder when a game goes like that, and we've never seen anything like that. They were not; They were the lesser team, and they got – manhandled and they were done we, we haven't seen that in the saving era it's always been a, a tight game a one score game they had a shot the other team either you know might have been as good as them sometimes but but there was no clear dominance the only dominance has always been alabama i think to me alabama becomes instead of being boring suddenly they're fascinating to me again at least during the off season now i'm sure they don't want to be fascinating and i'm sure that although they were pretty good after the game i'm sure that Long about March, when they start spring practice, they're going to be really tired of this stuff, and it's going to be a defiant sort of surly, why are you asking this question type of thing. But they're fascinating to me all of a sudden for a variety of reasons. Uh, I don't know why their dominance ends in the SEC, but Clemson clearly broke it at least on one night. That's fascinating. And then I guess I'd go back to the Big 12. I agree with Dan. Texas still has a lot of roster to fill to get to where they want to go. But when they finished up the season by winning the Sugar Bowl, win 10 games, I think a lot of people will make them the Big 12 favorite going in because of Sam Ellinger, because of sort of the just the offseason narrative, and because you don't know what Oklahoma's going to do at quarterback. And the defense remains a big issue with Oklahoma. Big hire of Alex Grinch as the defensive coordinator from Ohio State. I'm interested in sort of what the clash will be like in the two Big 12 sort of titans and where that'll go. Those are sort of my off-season thoughts, but I'm suddenly much more intrigued with Alabama than I have been in a long, long time. Yeah, I find myself being somewhat intrigued with uh, actually Georgia now because we've been seeing this momentum towards, hey, well, listen, Georgia's going to be Alabama. They're going to be Alabama East, right? So now if Alabama is in some way damaged, and I'm using air quotes here, well, this is the opportunity for Georgia then to, to sort of seize the SEC from Alabama. I very much am skeptical of that happening, though Georgia fans seem to believe that they are already Alabama's equal. But So Georgia comes to mind for me, and we'll see what happens with the Pac-12, if they can pull themselves from the wreckage. 
There's some interesting stuff going on right now with USC and Cliff Kingsbury, if he's actually going to be the offensive coordinator. So I think that'll be an interesting storyline going into next year. I will wrap it up uh, with this simple question to go around the table. Dan, do you expect a year from now to have watched another Alabama-Clemson national championship game? Yeah, why not? You know, both teams are certainly going to have challenges along the way. Uh, You look at Alabama's schedule next year is at A&M, at Auburn, uh, which is potentially interesting. I don't know that they're going to come in undefeated again. What does that look like? I think um, Clemson will almost certainly be in the playoff unless massive injuries happen. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, probably shaping up for Part 5 next year. Paul, Clemson, Alabama, Part 5. You know, it's hard to predict just because they could both get into a semi and then like, lose in semi. Sure. So, but I'll, I will say this. I would be surprised if they both weren't in the playoff. Mm-hmm. Certainly Clemson coming out of the ACC is going to face no test. I mean, who in that conference is going to sniff them? And like you said, Georgia can wish all they want, but they don't have what it takes to beat Alabama. Maybe they will in September when the season starts, but as of right now, I can't imagine it. So, yeah, it's as easy as saying it's, like you said, 12 hours after the end of last season, and we can already say with some degree of certainty that half of the college football playoff for 2020 is already settled. (laughs) Okay, George, you want to be the one to throw a curveball in here? And I'm not asking you to do that because if you start looking at, you know, the team sword next year, there really is no obvious except for, you know, again, if Justin Fields turns out to be the next great quarterback, maybe there's something at Ohio State that could prevent it. But uh, are we back here looking at Alabama Clemson again in part five of a national championship uh, run? Yeah, I think so. Let me just say this. At some point, those teams are going to get popped twice in the season. It's going to happen. I just don't see it happening anytime soon. Get popped twice and suddenly you miss the playoff. And even if they did, it's very possible that, for example, Georgia was in the 11-2 and slot and couldn't get in over 12-1 and Oklahoma. It's very possible Alabama might have gotten in in that same spot. Uh, maybe that's not the case next year. But one of these years they're, they're going to lose a game they shouldn't and then lose another game they shouldn't and there's just going to be an injury or something's going to happen. But I can't project it. I mean, who's going to beat them in their leagues to start with? I don't see it unless it's Georgia. Now, Auburn thinks they're going to be good this year, which is sort of the every year you don't think Auburn's going to be any good, they're good type of thing. Internally they think they're going to be good. We'll see. Uh, Georgia, we know we know they're, they're very good. They just haven't been able to get over the hump. Um, I don't see anybody in the ACC that can play with Clemson. Um, the one team that I'm sort of intrigued by, and I don't have any real basis for this, but going back to the SEC, is I think we saw really good signs out of Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. And if I were going to just sort of take a flyer on somebody, it's not LSU because I still think offensively they've got issues as much as I liked what Joe Burrow did. It's what could Jimbo Fisher do in year two? I think they've got a long way to go, but maybe they've got some upsets to pull. We are going to put a wrap on the 2018 season with that. Clemson is the national champion. I, Ralph Russo from the Associated Press on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I was joined by Dan Wolkin from USA Today and Paul Meyerberg from USA Today and George Schroeder from USA Today. Those guys do a great job. Thanks for joining us all year, and we'll look forward to another Clemson, Alabama next year. And now, three and out with an eye toward 2019. First down. Maybe the number one story in college football over the next few months will be Justin Fields petitioning the NCAA for a waiver to become immediately eligible next season for Ohio State. 
While it has not been confirmed by anyone attached to Fields, the quarterback is likely to use an incident involving another Georgia student directing a racial slur at him as at least part of the basis of his waiver claim. It's doubtful that this will play out quickly. The timing is always hard to guess with the NCAA. Last year's Shea Patterson waiver came through so he could play at Michigan after spring practice. I think the NCAA is likely to be more nimble with this one because some precedents have already been set in place. Fields could have an answer by spring practice, and regardless of when he hears back, I'd expect the NCAA to let him play. Second down, an intriguing storyline going into 2019 will be second-year coaches trying to write their programs. Despite winning only four games, Nebraska has to feel pretty good that Scott Frost has the Huskers heading in the right direction after a good finish to the season. The same cannot be said at Florida State, where Willie Taggart never really got things going in 2018. Taggart very much needs a fast start next season, where things could turn ugly quickly in Tallahassee. What's next for Chip Kelly at UCLA? There was also some improvement as the season went on, but recruiting does not seem to be going as well as it needs to for the Bruins. Third down, last word from me on last night's game. Offense wins championships. Clemson played great modern defense. A couple of key turnovers. A couple of red zone stops. Take advantage when the offense gets behind the sticks with a penalty or two. Basically, it's a combination of being talented enough and well-coached enough to get some negative plays and capitalizing when the opponent's offense malfunctions. There is no more dominating defense when high-level teams are relatively evenly matched. Quarterbacks like Trevor Lawrence and Tua Tunga-Vailoa just won't allow that. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank you for listening all season. I'd also like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good as always. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts and at Podcast One. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week. Yep, we should be back next week with the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.